Well, we are on week number four of a series that we are doing uh, here at Ignite called Unshakable, Standing Up in a Bowed Down World. And it's a series on the first six chapters of the Old Testament book of Daniel. It's a book that's written 2,600 years ago uh, in a culture and in a city uh, called Babylon. And yet uh, what we're finding is that there's a lot of similarities between Babylon and the U.S. There's a lot of similarities between the culture way back then and the culture in which we live today. And so what we're finding is that not surprisingly, but God's word speaks right to us in our lives, in our world today. And so we've been reading through this and kind of going through a chapter a week and saying, man, kind of just digging through it, reading through it and and finding, man, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot that God has to say to us through his word. And so today we are going to uh, dig into... um, Daniel's chapter, Daniel chapters four and five, and we're going to do a little bit of reading on there. And, and again, throughout this series, we're, we're learning about how to stand up and how to stand out, how to stand with God, right? Even in a culture that doesn't get this God stuff sometimes, even, even when it would be easier to duck and cover, even when it would be easier to just kind of go along with what's happening in culture and get swept away, we're learning about how to stand with God, how to stand in our faith and how to stand uh, for his kingdom and stand with him and stand for him. And so uh, those are the lessons we've been learning. Uh, chapters uh, four and five are sort of the, uh, the <laughs> forgive me, this is, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but sort of the ugly stepmother of, uh, of uh, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. You read them and you're like, what is this about? And so it's a, it's a little bit different. Week, last week was, you know, the heroic uh, God rescuing people from the fiery furnace. Next week, we're going to talk about Daniel and the lion's den. Again, these heroic sort of big God moments and you read chapters four and five, and it's about the downfall of a kingdom. It's about the downfall of a king, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and his, uh, and his lineage as well. And so we're going to read through that and think, again, even as we read through it, you're going to be going, what in the world is this about? Stick with me. Uh, I think it actually has a ton to say to us. Um, uh, I remember reading maybe about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I, I ran across this book and it the the title uh, really struck me <laughs> because it's my kind of humor, I think, or something. But the book is called "How to Change Your How to Change Your Child into a Sociopathic Criminal," <laughs> and it's kind of a backhanded, it's kind of a tongue in cheek kind of thing. And what they're doing is they're pointing out like all the bad things you could do, and they're teaching you how to parent, like don't do that kind of thing, right? It's it's one of those. So they'll, so they'll say things like. Um, <clears throat> Man, if you want to take your ordinary, you know, healthy child and change him into a sociopath, then do these things. Like, don't ever enforce household rules, they say. Then your child will never learn about consequences for their action. He goes on to say, always give in to their temper tantrums. That way they'll learn and they'll know that manipulation is the key, right? The key to life and the key to getting what you want. Goes on to say, now, now, you know, give them a huge allowance and don't make them do anything for it. That way they'll grow up with a huge sense of entitlement. I mean, it's all this kind of stuff. So it's, you, you learn stuff from the opposite. It's, like I said, it's kind of a funny uh, book, it, it, but it's one of those things that as a result, I still remember it like 12 years later, right, kind of thing. And so um, kind of fun. So with that in mind, I'm just going to say, I want to bring a message uh, to you today in that kind of spirit from Daniel chapters four and five, and I'm calling it how to bring down your kingdom or how to bring down an empire. And uh, we're going to learn a bunch of things not to do uh, from Nebuchadnezzar and uh, we'll talk on the positive side too, but we'll, that's kind of where we're going. And, uh, and again, as, as I mentioned earlier, 
I'm doing it not because many of us are kings or have empires, but because these, these things we're going to watch and witness from King Nebuchadnezzar are still bringing down lives and families and kingdoms today. And so uh, we're going to learn some lessons from him about how to live our lives, but we're going to learn it in the negative. So with that, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to walk through a couple of big chunks. I'll summarize a couple things, but uh, I'm going to read through quite a bit of it right now, so stick with me, all right? You can also follow along on the screens. There's notes and scriptures in the app if you want to follow along there, Uh, but we'll go there. Daniel chapter 4, starting with verse 4. This is written from, uh, actually, Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, chapter 4 is, which is is great. He writes it himself. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace contented and prosperous. And I had a dream. I have a dream. It's a second dream that we've read about in Daniel. Um, He says, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the image and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded uh, that all the wise men in Babylon be brought before me to interrupt the dream, or to interpret, excuse me, the dream for me. When the magicians and enchanters and astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. So finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He's called, Bel- he's called Belshazzar, after the name my, uh, of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Now, can I just pause a, a second? We've talked about this before, but this is just another one of those examples where Nebuchadnezzar is this close, but he's still missing it entirely, right? He, he renamed Daniel and, and said, you know, I, I renamed him for my God because clearly the spirit of the gods is in him, and uh, He's close, but no cigar. I'll I'll just say parenthetically too, I don't know about you, but man, I would love it if there's people around me that don't get this God thing at all. They don't understand this Jesus thing a bit. They're not on board with with God or his plans. Wouldn't it be cool if they looked at you and they looked at me and they said, I don't know, I don't know about all this kind of stuff, but clearly the spirit of God is in them. Wouldn't that be amazing if they looked at your life and they said, man, there's something supernatural. There's, I have seen things happen in their lives that I can't explain other than to say it must be God. <laughs> Love that. Let's go on. Verse, uh, verse 9 says this. It says, I said, Belshazzar, right? Daniel, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. Uh, From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds flee from its branches. But the stump, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze, let them remain in the ground in the grass of the field." Let him be drenched with the dew of heavens and let him live with the animals among the plants, uh, the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him uh, be given the mind of an animal till seven times have passed, means literally seven sets of seasons, probably means seven years, right? So for that length of, uh, length of time. 
Verse 17, the decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. Verse 18, this is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And then Daniel uh, was greatly perplexed at it for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. And so the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meanings alarm you. Belshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. We're going to jump ahead to verse 22. He says, your majesty, you are that tree. Here's the meaning. You are that tree. You have become great and strong and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat the grass like the ox and be drenched with dew of the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign. He's in charge, right, over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone that he wishes. Verse 26 says this, the command uh, to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when this happens, when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Can I pause for one second and say, man, there are some of us uh, in, in the room that are control freaks, some of us that are recovering control freaks, right? And, and I just think, man, this is a good word for us, that, that, that there are times, a lot of times, when we have to step back and acknowledge that we are not in control, but heaven rules, right? But there is one that is large and in charge, and it is not me. And I just think, man, that's a good word. He's going to live like a wild animal for seven years until he acknowledges um, that heaven reigns. Um, That kind of a thing. Uh, Verse uh, 27 says this. Daniel says this, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking around on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, he said, is, not the great ba- is, this, is this not the great Babylon that I have built uh, as, as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And at that moment... The prophecy was fulfilled, right? For seven years, he went and lived in shame and like a wild animal and all kinds of things until he came to, to finally bow his knee and in, his, and in humility turn back to heaven and say, okay, you are the one. You are the one true God. You are the one that is sovereign. You're in charge. You are God and I am not. Now, uh, big passage of scripture. Thanks for sticking in there with me. I just want to run through a few lessons here and kind of interpret and kind of look at what this passage is really teaching on. And, and like I said, we're going we're gonna to talk, talk about it in the negative on how to bring down an empire or how to bring down your life. So I'll walk through and we'll talk about the passage as we go. The first thing that we're going to hit on is, man, if you want to wreck your life, if you want to bring down your empire, fully embrace 
pride, okay? Like just go after pride, puff yourself up, lift yourself up, make it about your glory and your fame and your image and your honor and your everything else, right? That's exactly what's going on here with King Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, dude, I rock, right? He's like, I am so great. He's walking around the city and saying, man, I did all this. It's by my power. It's for my glory. It's by my might that all this stuff has happened. It's a these are huge, prideful statements, even after God had warned him, right? He's like, this is all about me. Chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Daniel are really about the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar and his grandson that we'll read about in a little bit. And really, most of the first six chapters of Daniel are about this pride cycle that keeps happening in his life. Every decade or so, he needs a little reminder. He gets a little too big for his britches, right? He gets, he gets a little bit too high on himself, and he sort, of, he sort of blows himself up and inflates his ego, and he's, he's like, man, I am basically a god, right? He's, he's like, man, I basically rock. Remember last week we talked about he built a 90-foot statue of gold of himself. <laughs> I mean, talk about, yeah. Anyway. He's, I mean, he's, he's just all about himself. He's about me, me, me. Come and worship me. Come and put your attention. Look at how great a leader I am. Look at how great a king I am. Look at how great a man I am. Everybody should be in awe of me. And you think, wow, that guy's got a little bit of a Messiah complex, right? There's something going on there. But this is what his life is all about. He's about lifting himself up. And so he does this about, again, every, maybe every decade or so-ish, right, kind of thing. And, and in the midst of, God gives him chance after chance after chance. He keeps, he keeps coming and making himself known and reminding Nebuchadnezzar, you know what? You really don't have power of your own at all. You're not nearly as in control as you think you are. You're not as big or glorious or whatever. He reminds him that there is only one God. There is only one that is sovereign, right? There's only one that's on the throne. There's only one that really holds all power and all authority, and it's not King Nebi, right? It's the living God. And so he reminds him, right, by, by uh, uh, through Daniel and through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he reminds them by, uh, by showing up in the fiery furnace and, and, and having his three servants that are in there come out not even smelling like smoke. He reminds him by, by uh, taking things that are in, in knowable by people and making them known before all people. He, he, he keeps doing this where he, he's, he's saying, and, and even through Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's proclaiming and saying again and again and again, there is only one that can save. There is only one that holds all power. There is only one, right, that is in control, and it's not you. And 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 Nebuchadnezzar gets it about half, about this much, right? About a quarter maybe. And he says, oh yeah, there's no God like you in those moments. There's no God like you. And then days go by and months go by. And he, and he starts thinking, you know, <laughs> you know, I think it's really me. I think I'm the magic. You know, I think I'm, I'm the good stuff. And he starts, you know, his, his ego and everything else gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And he does it again. That's what's happening in Daniel chapter 4, right? He's, he's gotten to this point again, and God starts, God starts gives him a little warning. He says, man, you, you do not want to go where pride will lead you. Pride will topple your kingdom. It will wreck you. Do you want to live your life like a wild animal? Do you want to be humiliated before your people for seven years? Do you want your, your authority to be taken away? Do you want that? Then why don't you bow before me instead of, 
lifting yourself up. I have to say, this is a little uh, parenthetical thought, but man, as I'm reading through Daniel this week, I'm just thinking over and over again. I think so much as we're talking about living with unshakable faith, I think so much about being unshakable is knowing the proper times of when to bow down and who to bow down to and when and where we stand, we take a stand. Right? I mean, obviously, we're learning in, in, the, in the pages here, we're learning in the pages throughout the book of Daniel that the proper stance for God followers, for Jesus followers, is we bow before King Jesus, right? We bow before God and we surrender our lives and our, our actions and our direction and everything to him. We lift him up as the, as the only one with power and authority and goodness and all that kind of stuff. And, but we take a stand when things uh, are an affront to his kingdom. When things don't, when our culture doesn't jive with his teachings, then, we're, then he's teaching us to take a stand then. And I have to say, as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, man, how often do we do the opposite? How often do we find ourselves standing, taking a stand for our culture or our political views or our whatever, right? I mean, taking a stand against God and bowing and get swept, swept along by the cultures and the values and the beliefs of our world, of our Babylon, the, the culture in which, does that make sense? You kind of hear what I'm saying? But over, and this is what's happening with, with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's, he's standing for the wrong things. He's standing for himself. He's like, it's all about me. This is about me. It's great. He's standing against God. He's just getting swept away uh, by the culture in which he lives. And so what has been predicted, finally, God's like, fine, if you, if you need to learn this lesson the hard way, so be it. So for seven years, he loses his position. He is swept away. Goes and lives with the animals and all that kind of stuff. In chapter 5, uh, we pick the story back up a little bit. Um, chapter 4 is written from the perspective of King Nebi, right? Chapter 5 is written 23 years later. It is uh, during the reign of his grandson. There's actually been four rulers in between there. It's a long story, uh, but it's his lineage. But he's making the same mistakes his grandpa did. And, and, but there's a, there's a snapshot uh, which, uh, um, it's kind of a long story, but I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a, an instance that happens where it's the night before, actually the night of the sacking of Babylon. Babylon will be destroyed this very night. It's October, uh, they know the exact date, October 12th, 539 B.C., uh, it's going to get sacked that night. The king, instead of pre- making preparations for a battle, he's throwing a party. And, uh, and in the midst of this party, God has a hand show up and writes a message on the wall to the king. Okay, And so nobody can, again, interpret the message, and so they call for Daniel. And Daniel comes in. And in the midst of, uh, of this, Daniel uh, kind of explains what happened to his grandfather and what's happening to him. And he says this in in Daniel chapter five, verses 18 through 22. Listen to this. It says, your majesty, the most high God, (laughs) the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. By the way, was it all about him and his power and his glory? Who gave it to him? God, right? God gave those things to him. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and the people of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he'd spare. Those he wanted to promote, he'd promote. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was 
deposed. Do you know what deposed means? Yeah. Right? Basically pink slipped, we'll call it that, but not, not in as nice a way, right? He was deposed from his royal position, his royal throne. He was stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with wild donkeys and he ate grass like an ox and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until the moment that he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he, set them, uh, and he sets them over anyone he wishes and he sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, uh, his son, actually his grandson, have not humbled yourself though you knew all of this. I have to say you read, you read that and it brings clarity. Chapters four and chapter five of Daniel, they're all about pride and humility, Right? Why was Nebuchadnezzar pink-slipped? Because of pride, right? Why was Belshazzar's kingdom coming to an end that very night? It's because of pride. Pride is one of those things, in our culture, we just don't think it's that big a deal. We say stuff all the time, like, dude, I rock. Like, have you seen, man, I'm awesome. We, we take, we were talking last week, right? We take selfies on Facebook so everybody knows just how glorious and magnificent we really are. We post them all the time. Man, look at me. I look awesome. I'm strong. I'm good. I'm heroic. I'm whatever, right? Come, come and worship me. We may not build a 90-foot statue, but we're saying something similar. Pride, it's something that's, that we sort of just embrace as part of our culture, but it's a huge deal to God. You know what God's perspective is? Pride will bring down your kingdom. It will wreck your life. It will destroy relationships. Listen to some of these verses uh, from, from God's book about pride. Pride, Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride literally leads to a fall. It brings destruction. It tears things down. Are you laughing at my haughty comment or what? Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, what are we even talking about? Okay. But pride comes before the fall. Literally, it brings destruction, right? It implodes kingdoms. It destroys families. It's a huge deal to God. And God warns us throughout the pages of his book over and over and over again, man, this is not a value. This is not a way you want to live. You do not want to puff yourself up because that doesn't lead where you think it does. We, we think it's no big deal, but God says, man, it brings destruction. It does. It does. Listen to some of these other ones. James uh, 4, 6 says, God, I want you to read that. God, what? Opposes the proud. He opposes them. When, when we embrace pride, we are standing against the living God. He opposes the proud. But what? He shows favor to the humble. I wonder which one of those we'd like to choose, right? 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Matthew 20, 16, and th this is just one place, but where Jesus talks about, you know, many of that we see as the first it will be last, and the last will be first. He's talking about like a hierarchical kind of thing. If we get everything we want and we make this life all about me, me, and getting what I wanted, man, look at me. I'm strong and powerful. I'm a great leader. I'm all these kind of things. He's like, you might be surprised when the kingdom of God comes, you'll see that actually things are flipped on its head. Things that we call great in this culture, things that we call great in Babylon, are things that are despised in the kingdom of God and vice versa. Pride is a huge deal. It brings down kingdoms, right? It brings destruction. Now, we might not be like King Nebi, right? We might not be building 90-foot statues of ourselves and causing everybody to worship, but man, I think pride is something all of us deal with. 
when we continually put ourselves first and we kind of put other people's needs after us, that's pride. When we refuse to listen to wise counsel, when we refuse to listen even to the word of God, you know what that is? It's pride. It's, it's us saying, God, I know better than you. That's pride. When we're wrong, we've hurt somebody, we've done damage in a relationship, but we refuse to apologize, we refuse to own our stuff, we might make excuses, oh, I did it because of this, or I did, but we refuse to just stop and say, man, I was wrong, I hurt you, and I am sorry. Would you forgive me? When we, when we refuse to apologize, you know what that is? It's pride. It's pride. When there's sin that's in our lives and we know it's sin, God has convicted us on it, but we have pushed him away and said, oh, no, 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 no. Uh Uh-uh, I got this. This is my life. You know what that is? It's pride. Pride is something all of us deal with. It's a universal sort of deal. And we might not, like I said, we might not build big statues, but all of us wrestle with this same thing. We have to decide where are we going to bow, right? Where are we going to surrender? Where are we going to kneel? And where are we going to take a stand and say, "Uh uh-uh? Will we we bow before the mirror of ourselves and say, it's really all about me and therefore stand opposed to God? Or will we bow before God and say, no, I will take a stand against sin. I'm going to align myself with him. Pride, friends, is a huge deal. It topples one of the greatest kingdoms that has ever been known, right? It topples Babylon, right? It it topples um, that whole kingdom, but it topples lives. It wrecks marriages today. It is still doing damage in kingdoms and in lives and in homes and in workplaces to this very day. You want to wreck your life? That's where it starts. I better keep going. Every other lesson that we learn uh, in, in chapters four and five, by the way, they're all, they all stem from pride, but we're, I'm going to hit a couple more uh, just to kind of shine a light on some stuff as well. Second, second point we'll just look at real quick is uh, if you want to bring down an empire, if you want to wreck your life, then just, in, again, put that mirror in front of you and indulge in whatever it is that you want and ignore the needs and the desires of anybody else around you and especially the poor. Just who cares about them? They probably just need to take a shower, get a job, and fix it, right? And who cares about them? This is, this is really, a, I'm the, the main character in, in, this, in this show, right? I'm the one that I need to worry about. It's just me and my and whatever I want and whatever else. So just the rest of you, pff, who cares about your little lives kind of thing, right? If we want to bring down an empire, if you want to bring down a kingdom, just indulge in yourself and ignore the needs of others. Historians have done a ton of writing on actually the magnificence of Babylon. It was glorious. It was amazing. Have you ever heard of uh, Seven Wonders of the, the Ancient World? One of them is called the Hanging Gardens. Have you heard of this? You know where that was? Babylon. It was. It was supposed to be magnificent. The king built it for his wife. Nebuchadnezzar built it for his, his wife. It was supposed to be fantastic. It was supposed to be jaw-dropping. Like I said, historians have, have found writings about how glorious uh, this city was. And King Nebuchadnezzar, this, you know, his whole empire, this whole city was all about him. It was about just enjoying and feasting. It was everything existed to serve 
him. He was, his empire was huge. He had a royal treasury that was almost limitless. He was rich. He was successful. He had an amazing home and palace and city that all existed for his good pleasure. Everything was going great for him. We look at something, can I just say, as Americans, we look at that and say, isn't that the American dream? Isn't that what this, I mean, everything is going great. So what's the problem, right? He's got it all. He's probably got, you know, beautiful women and he's got, I mean, he's got all the chariots, I don't know, whatever you have in that era. I mean, he's got every, he's got the best in the, of everything. I mean, the dude's got money enough to build 90 foot gold statue of himself, right? I mean, he's loaded. He's got tons. Isn't that the dream? And yet God appears to him and, and says, you know, this whole deal, like, remember how we're, everything's kind of flipping on its head? Right? The last will be first. The first will be last. He's, don't you understand all that I have entrusted to you, it's nothing. It's nothing on your own. That's not the important, that's not the good stuff. If you just use it all just to indulge, 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 indulge. If you only have the mirror in front of you so you only see yourself and you ignore those around you that need you, that need help, that need whatever, you're gonna miss it all. You're gonna wreck your relationships. Your empire will fall uh, chapter four, verse four, uh, starts out and says this. We read this a little bit ago, but he says, "I Nebuchadnezzar was at home in my palace. I was it, w- it and I was contented, and I was prosperous." Ah, oh, you're like, isn't that good? He's like, all as as it should be, right? He's like, this is the good stuff. It's great to be me. And yet you go down a few verses later, verse 27, uh, when, when Daniel's talking to him and pleading with him, saying, man, this is not leading where you think it is. I mean, you think everything's great. You think, oh, man, it's, I'm contented. I'm prosperous. All is well. He's like, but something's coming, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad for you. Seven years of horrible. If he, and he's pleading with the king, would you just turn? Would you humble yourself before God so that he can lift you? Would, you? would you bow your knee to him? Would you just acknowledge he is the supreme one? He is the strong one. He is the good one. But the king refused again and again and again. And so in, this is Daniel pleading with him in verse 27. Your majesty, uh, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. And renounce your wickedness by, what was he say? By being kind to the, the word literally means to the poor. So what's happened? Nebuchadnezzar has, his life has become all about him. It's been about what he wants and his desires and he has turned a blind eye, maybe not even intentionally, but to the needs of those who need it most, to the poor, to the oppressed, to those on the fringes. Now again, this is a huge value in the kingdom of God, isn't it? I mean, we, we read stuff about the poor all over the place. He's oblivious to poor. Listen to this. Isaiah 58 is, is a, a classic passage talking about this. Listen to this. He says, uh, this is God talking, right? If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, he says, then your light will rise in the darkness. Then your night will become like noonday. Then the Lord will guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Part of the equation here, part of the pride that takes down the king and his kingdom is by indulging our, in ourselves, in our own wants and desires and ignoring the poor. And I have to say, I, you know, I read, read that this week and I think, man, how often am I guilty of that? How often 
Are you guilty of that? We don't tend to think of ourselves this way. I've, I've shared before, but I mean, from a global perspective, we're the rich. We're the ones that have everything. If you make minimum wage in America, you're in the top 20% of the wealthiest people on the planet. 50% of the people on the planet live on less than $2 a day. They're struggling just to buy bread and wonder where that's going to come from, right? We are the elite. I read something this week that was even more convicting that said, man, if you have the wherewithal to be able to buy a book and the education enough to read it, then you're the elite in this world. I have a whole office full of books. I have a whole garage full of books. I have a whole house full of books. I look at that and I think, man, that, that's me. That, that, that's us, right? I mean, we are... We are rich. And yet, I have to say, how often is it that we just focus our lives on, we don't feel rich, partially because we're focusing our lives on, man, yeah, but I don't have this. I wish I, I, wish I could have that. I'm not as rich as them. I'm not as whatever. And we kind of focus our hearts and our lives there. And what, we're, what we end up doing is, is, it's number two, right? Go back a slide if you would, Right? We indulge ourselves in whatever we want and more and more and more and more, but we end up ignoring others. We end up maybe even just passing by and overlooking those that need it most, those that need help, those that are in poverty. Maybe you don't do this, but I mean... I can remember even as a kid, you kind of got, you kind of get trained. We'd be in downtown Chicago or something. There'd be a homeless person there. And my parents would say, oh, don't look at him. Just kind of walk right by. And so you kind of train yourself to not even see him. We just kind of walk through or, or you're flipping through TV or whatever else. And the world vision or the compassion or something, the, uh, I don't show, but they have other ones. I'm not thinking of the right names, but whatever, like there's a commercial on or an infomercial that's, that's showing poverty in other parts of the world. And what do you do? You know, click. Right? I mean, you kind of move, you kind of go right, we don't even see because our lives are so focused on me, me. Again, maybe this isn't you, but man, I read this and I'm thinking, man, I'm guilty. And God says, man, this whole thing, I'm going to flip it on its head. You don't see it because we live in Babylon, because we live in this kind of culture. We don't see it. But he's saying, man, the good stuff is actually not found in collecting and more, 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 more. The good stuff is found as you spend your lives for others, for, for the glory of God and the kingdom of God by giving to others, by serving others, by loving others. By, he's like, when you do that, he says, Isaiah 58, then you'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. The picture is of abundance and fullness. He's like, you think it's more blessed to receive, but it's not, Jesus says, right? It's more blessed to give. Give yourself away. When we do the other, we don't know it, but our kingdoms are starting to crumble. Number two, number three, better keep going, I'm gonna get myself in trouble, uh, is I, I just think this, man, so often we just ignore the handwriting on the wall, <laughs> which this is, you ever heard that phrase before? Right, ignore kind of what's before you, ignore the handwriting on the wall. It literally comes from this passage in Daniel. And so that's, that's where that phrase has come from. But uh, I was just struck this week. The reason that we, I mean, historians have written tons on this kind of stuff. The reason we know the exact date of this is because there's actually tons of uh, different uh, writers in history that record the, 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 uh, the date and time of this event because the, uh, the Babylonians, they knew that uh, the Medes and the Persian armies were coming. They were a couple miles away, and yet they threw one of the biggest parties the kingdom had ever known. 
They were contented. They thought, you know what? Nothing can hurt us. There's no way they'll ever get through. They had this false sense of security. Even God busts into the party, writes a message on the wall, and, and according, I mean, even from what we read in Scripture, they went back to their party. They're like, oh, cool. Let's give uh, Daniel here a promotion and bring on the wine, right? <laughs> bring in the fees. Bring in the girls. Like, let's, let's, we're just going to party because we're safe in here. We're fine. It doesn't matter that the armies are encircling the city. Nobody can touch us. It's pride again, right? Nobody. We're, we're safe. And we ignore the handwriting on the wall. And yet before the, that night would end, the king would be dead Babylon would be no more, and the silver king, if you know what I'm talking about from the dream, right, from the vision, the statue that we read about in week one or two, the next empire had come. Meanwhile, they sat around at the party, at the feast, and they just enjoyed it. And I, I read that, and I think to myself, man, I think we ever have a false sense of security, a false sense that, that like, we've got all the time in the world I, I, I hear and I think I see that kind of stuff all the time. I can remember uh, years ago uh, hanging out with uh, some friends that they weren't church and they weren't, uh, they weren't really Christ followers and that kind of thing, but they'd been around, they'd been around the church as kids and so they kind of knew some of this stuff. But uh, we were hanging out one night and the guy went up to go get a drink or something. I'm like, oh, where are you going? And uh, instinctively he turned around and he kind of he had his little sneer on his face, a little smirk on his face. He's like, well, I'm going to hell unless I change my ways. <laughs> he laughed, right? And I just, it, it kind of rocked me back at the time. I can remember thinking, but sometimes we live that way. We might be like, you know, I'm not, I'm not good with the Lord. I know I'm not where I'm, but we think I've got all the time in the world. Like I, I've got time. I'll take care of that God stuff. I'll do that later, we'll think. Or maybe there's, there's uh, people that we're at odds with in our lives, right? That there's confrontation, we're button heads, we're doing damage, marriages that are in shambles, moms and dads and kids and whatever, that there's anger and there's damage that's been done, and we think, well, I got plenty of time. I'll, I'll deal with that kind of stuff later. Oh, maybe I'm not talking to them, but I'll we'll just kind of push that off. I've got all the time in the world. And I have to say, uh, speaking as a pastor, that uh, this weekend has been in the hospital with, with some people that, that thought they had all the time in the world, and one minute they were fine, and the next minute they were barely living. We have no idea, do we? We're lulled into a false sense of security. The, I'll, I'll give you a little uh, a little bit inside the handwriting on the wall, by the way, the God's message for the king was three things. The first one is this, God has numbered the days of your reign and he has brought it to an end. Message two was you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And message three is your kingdom will be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And I, I read that, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you don't, your days are numbered, you don't know. Your kingdom is numbered, and you don't know when, that, when it's going to come to an end. Uh, and again, I hear that, and I just think, man, I wonder how often I do that. I wonder how often we do that, where we just kind of put stuff off and think, I, I've got tomorrow. I can do the important stuff tomorrow. You know, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do ministry stuff. I'll, I'll teach my kids about Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll help raise other people. I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. <clears throat> And God's saying, man, your days are numbered. You don't know if you've got a tomorrow. 
live for his kingdom today. I'm always amazed. I mean, the Bible says, right? Uh, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of grace. Today is the day to have that conversation with your, your wife or your husband. Today is the day to go and say you're sorry. Today is the day to restore relationships. Today, right? Not tomorrow. Today is the day to live for God, to stand for God, to stand and live in his kingdom. Friends, I don't know what God might be saying to you today. Truth be told, maybe uh, there's some of us here and maybe pride has gotten the better of us and for whatever reason we find ourselves uh, far from God or just maybe not knowing where we stand with God. Maybe we've been standing where we should be kneeling or vice versa. Maybe there's something going on like that. Maybe today the living God is just is nudging you and saying, man, today's the day for you. Today's the day. Would you bow your knee before me? Would you open up your heart and life and just say, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and would you forgive me? Would you bring me home? I want to be restored to you. I want to follow you. I want you to be my king and my God. And with your help, I'll follow. Maybe you're here and maybe just even some of the relationship stuff we've been talking about, the truth be told, there's been pride that's, that's built and, and it has separated you from somebody else. And maybe, to, maybe today God's nudging you and saying, today, before your head hits the pillow tonight, would you go to them? Would you humble yourself? Would you say, I'm sorry I've hurt you. Would you forgive me? God says, humble yourself that he may lift you up. Maybe the truth be told, there's some, there's some sin, there's some junk in our lives, and we know. I mean, we know that we've been holding God at bay, saying, I don't want that. Like, I'm, uh, I'm not following you there. It's pride. Maybe today God's nudging you and tapping you on the shoulder and saying, man, it's time. Would you lay, that, that does not lead where you think it does. That leads to a life that crumbles around you. It's time to lay that stuff down. Open yourself back up to, to Jesus. Ask for his forgiveness and let him lead you forward. Would you humble yourself before God that he may lift you up? God's desire, friends, is to lift you up. It's to bless you. It's to fill you. It's to bring you to life. But we've got to learn to stand with him, to kneel before him and stand with him and stand on his word. Let's close in prayer. God, we need you. We love you. Uh, forgive us for the times that we have stood against you and against your word and your plan and your kingdoms. Forgive us for our apathy, our pride, all that junk. Lord, we just want to open up our hands and our hearts to you this morning and say, come Lord Jesus, come, we need you. Forgive us, cleanse us, make us new. We kneel before you, even just in, in our own hearts this morning. And we say, come Lord Jesus, be our savior and our king. Teach us to, to live our lives today in your kingdom and for your glory. Would you come and do a work in our lives, in our marriages, our relationships with you and our relationship with, with those around us? How we need you. Come and have your way. May your kingdom come and your will be done in us today, we pray. Jesus' name. Amen.